0: In today's episode, I'm gonna be explaining my journey into functional and integrative medicine. There's a lot of controversy surrounding which methods, systems, or techniques are best. Some experts think it's pretty naive and ignorant to venture out beyond what they teach and recommend. I'm gonna show you why it's naive not to keep an open mind and why a blended approach is best. So join me on today's episode and let's get started. Here at the Optimal CEO Podcast, we help CEO entrepreneurs who love taking ownership of their wellness journey because they know it's their most prized investment. And when their state of wellness is at its peak, their income soars. We want to help relieve CEO entrepreneurs from the pressure of unnecessary health exposure so they can be highly focused on growing their business and physically optimized for the journey. they can enjoy getting there. So why night terrors? You may have noticed the, the title of the episode was about night terrors. Um, it's based on one part of my personal health journey and how it led me to literally dying every single night since age five. And I know that sounds uh, crazy, um, but it, ha- it gave me a profound respect for alternative medicine approaches of all kinds, but also gave me a profound respect for blended approaches as, as well. This particular story uh, sets the stage for understanding why a blended or integrative medicine approach is useful and why clinicians should be able to pull from various fields of alternative medicine and traditional medicine to bring about maximum impact in their clients. Now I know what you're thinking, Uh, what the heck? You died every night since age five? Um, Sadly, it's true. Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't figure this out until my early forties, but it did happen. And I'll give you some uh, details in just a minute. First, let's uh, get an understanding of what night terrors are versus nightmares. There's a lot of confusion there. Uh, Night terrors are not nightmares. They're totally different. Uh, Nightmares are memorable. Uh, Night terrors are generally not memorable unless they involve uh, some form of uh, hallucination like creepy things uh, in your bed like snakes or, or bugs or things like that. Thank God I never had any of those hallucinations, but here are a few of the symptoms of night terrors that I did have. Uh, walking, uh, waking, waking up suddenly, uh, uh, with shortness of breath, heart racing and feeling like you're having a panic attack. Check. Had that. Suddenly awakening from sleep. Check. Had that. Persistent fear or terror that occurs at night. Check. Also had that one. Uh, waking up sweating profusely. Check. Had that one. Uh, confusion. Check. Rapid heart rate. Check. Inability to explain what happened. Check. No recall or of a bad dreams or nightmares. Check, according to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, night terrors affect as many as 6.5 percent of children and only 2.2 percent of adults. So here's the here's the rub. When I was about five years old, I started having night terrors. I was always embarrassed about it, uh, partly uh, because it was my personality and partly because. Uh, I came from a long line of people who believe uh, you just got to suck it up and move on. Uh, so I, I, and I always uh, recall the story of my granddad, who um, was an entrepreneur himself. He owned a very successful automotive shop. And um, you know, naturally, he would do some welding from time to time. And literally one day, he uh, was welding on his back underneath a car, and a piece of hot metal slag got in his eye. And um, he recovered from that fully. He didn't lose any vision, but he, was, he would always say um, when, when somebody would get hurt or somebody would have something going on, he said, oh, I've had worse than that in my eye. And uh, we would always kind of chuckle and say, yeah, yeah, right. But then later on, I found out exactly, you know, why he, uh, why he would tell us that story. And it was, it was always fascinating to me that uh, he was such a tough guy. But uh, regardless, with my night terrors, I never told anybody. As I got older, it got worse even into adulthood. As I got into my medical training, I was diagnosed with night terrors of adulthood and was considered to be one of those rare people who carried it into adulthood. If you remember, only 2.2% of adults have night terrors. I also learned that it was extremely rare to carry this into adulthood, and um, that I was just in that rare minority. So I kind of accepted it and moved on. It was what it was. Uh, and, and I think the reason they thought that it was truly night terrors is because it had been going on since about age five. Um, that should have been a red flag for me that I was in that minority, minority as an adult. But I just kind of shrugged it off and kept on trucking um uh it's It's just kind of the cloth that I'm cut from you know the people that that i that I was raised by um from from my immediate family to my extended family. We were all just kind of suck it up and move on so that's what I did so fast forward to may of two thousand and fourteen i'm forty five years old and um I, i'm I'm driving down the interstate one day coming back into town uh from uh, uh, a business trip, and I nearly pass out as I get in, as I'm, I'm probably about a quarter of a mile from my exit, and I kind of suck it up and pull it together um, uh, and and keep myself from passing out, keep myself from wrecking the vehicle, and um, I, I just kind of brushed it off. I thought, okay, I've been under a lot of stress lately. It's just high stress. Had a little bit too much caffeine today. Um, I'm just going to kind of brush it off. So the next day, I was uh, driving and the same thing happened again. This time it got my attention. So uh, I have a friend who's a cardiologist, and I I drove to his office. Uh, It was about 4.30 in the afternoon. I knew it was a chance I probably wouldn't catch him. I didn't catch him, but his nurse was still there, Uh, she said he was at the hospital doing uh, rounds, checking on patients. So uh, she said, what's going on? And I told her and she said, well, let's do an EKG on you real quick. So they did an EKG and it was like horribly abnormal, but it wasn't, uh, it was just a weird arrhythmia, a a weird heart rhythm. Uh, I wasn't, uh, wasn't having a heart attack or anything, but, uh, she went ahead and called my buddy and uh, he said, okay, just go ahead and do some cardiac enzymes. Uh, and I'll see him at the office in about 30 minutes. I'm headed that way. So, um, they, they went ahead and ran some static cardiac enzymes there in the office. I wasn't having any chest pain or anything like that. The dizziness had kind of already cleared up, and uh, the cardiac enzymes were fine. So um, they decided, um, he, he, he just asked me, he said, can you come back tomorrow morning? Let's just kind of do a, a treadmill test, a stress test. Let's do an echocardiogram so we can take a look at your heart, see how it's pumping, and we'll go from there. So uh, I did some more blood work. Uh, The next morning I showed up, did my stress test, did my echocardiogram. Uh, Long story short, everything was negative. So he said, all right, let's let's put a Holter monitor on you uh, so we can kind of see what's going on uh, over a period of time. So that's just monitor that they, they put these wires, these leads on your chest. Um, you wear it for a day, bring it back the next day. So, uh, this is like on a Wednesday, I brought it back. I wore it overnight. Uh, I wore it for a full 24 hours, brought it back the next day, which is Thursday. Um, on Friday, I'm seeing patients and, um, at one of the facilities that I was making rounds at. And, um, and, and I get this text on, on my phone from my, my, my cardiology friend and he says, where are you? Call me ASAP! Three exclamation points. And I'm like, holy cow, this is not good. And, you know, I just turned in that monitor uh, yesterday. It's got to be something major. So uh, I pick up the phone. I call him. I said, hey, what's going on? He said... Uh, you you come on over to the office real quick. Uh, let's kind of go over some things. I want to show you something. So it kind of had my mind going. I was only about five minutes from his office. So I hopped in my vehicle, ran over to his office and, um, and he showed me this weird EKG. And what had happened was my heart had stopped about four times in the middle of the night. And, um, he said, uh, I've got you an appointment Monday morning with one of the top electrophysiologists in the country. He's literally written the textbooks. He's written uh, about uh, certain procedures, and he goes all over the world teaching this particular uh, laser procedure. And he said, uh, you've got an appointment with him at 9.30 Monday morning. He's not in the clinic. He's going to see you between procedures. So be a little patient, but just be there about nine o'clock so he can run over between procedures and see you. So that's exactly what I did. So, um, needless to say, I was scared to death knowing that, you know, my heart is literally stopping in the middle of the night. And, um, so I show up at the, at the, um, at the appointment Monday morning and, uh, and Dr. Lawn is David Lon, L-A-N. Um, he he uh, he goes over my history. He looks at the at the twenty four hour monitor, and he said, "This is really interesting. I think I know what's going on, but I have to rule a few things out first. He said, uh, "Can you uh, in two days on Wednesday? Can you be here and let's do further testing?" Uh, this is where they do uh, what they call an EP study, electrophysiology study, and they run a cable in through uh, the, the femoral vein, not the artery like they're going to do a, a heart cast, but they go on the other side on the vein, and they go up into your heart, and they test the electrical conduction from the inside of your heart. So needless to say, scared to death, I, I went ahead Wednesday morning, had that procedure done, everything was totally normal. And so on consult, he said, I'm, st- I'm still, you know, after the procedure, uh, as I'm in recovery, he said, I'm pretty sure I know what's going on. I'm not going to tell you yet because I don't want to get you, uh, I don't want to get you or me unnecessarily worried. Uh, but let's go ahead and put a 30 day monitor on you. And uh, and I'm thinking in the back of my head, man, wasn't the 24 hour monitor enough? Seeing my heart stop four times in the middle of the night, but uh, you're the expert. I'm going to kind of roll with it. And um, I wore the monitor one night and I literally I'd forgotten that I'd put my phone on do not disturb when I went to bed and this was kind of a cellular monitoring. So, uh, yeah, uh, the EMF people out there, I was getting a lot of EMF exposure, but I'm glad I was because what happened was is I had like five missed phone calls when I woke up the next morning from the monitoring service. And I had apparently upset everybody, uh, to the point where, um, my heart had stopped seven times. Well, obviously I was awake. I was able to answer those phone calls. I felt perfectly fine, but I'd also woken up in the middle of the night with those night terrors that I've been having since I was a child. And that's when it kind of hit me. And it also kind of hit Dr. Lon that there's something correlating there with the night terrors and my heart stopping. And he said, uh, I've seen this a few other times, but I typically only see it in kids. He said, adults just don't have this because um, adults who have this die of unknown causes. And in fact, that's what's written on their death certificate uh, died of unknown causes because on autopsy, everything's perfectly normal. And uh, so I'm that one rare person who's kind of made it into adulthood with this condition. And, um, and, and they call it, they, they don't really have a name for it. They just call it high vagal tone with ventricular pause, meaning that your nervous system is so sensitive that when, when your heart rate goes down in the middle of the night, which it normally always does, it should do actually as part of your uh, biorhythm, uh, bio as part of your physical recovery at night. My heart doesn't sense that, and my neurological system doesn't sense that, okay, my heart rate needs to go back up. It just keeps going down until it stops. So, um, this is just uh, the high vagal tone with ventricular pause is just fancy terminology per, for we don't know what else to call it, but your heart, heart stops in the middle of the night. So, uh, the biggest question for me was why? Nobody else seemed to really want to know the why. And, and and I kind of get that because uh, you've got to take care of the immediate problem. So the, the immediate answer was that he said, uh, clear your schedule. Uh, three days from now, you're having a pacemaker put in. And uh, it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, can't we do this today? You know, my heart's stopping four to seven times in the middle of the night. We know that it's related to the night terrors I've been having. And uh I'm having those things every single night. And and it hit me. I was literally dying every single night. And and my my adrenals, my were dumping adrenaline into my bloodstream to jumpstart my heart every single night since the age of five. But you know, the crazy thing is that's that's how miraculous our body is. And uh, he looked at me point blank and he said, you know, there must be a higher purpose for you in this world, something that you've still yet to do because you're hanging around here. And he said, I've never seen this in adults. I've only seen it in kids. And he said, we put pacemakers in kids for this very reason. So um, anyway, as it turns out, um, and and this actually happened a couple of years after I had the pacemaker put in, uh, I was sitting around talking uh, with family and we recalled that I was electrocuted at age five. Now, I was doing what stupid five-year-olds do sometimes, especially boys, and uh, I had unplugged something and plugged it back in several times, just uh, uh, just kind of goofing around, and one of the times I plugged it in, my, my right index finger touched one of the prongs as I plugged it in. Luckily, my mom was in the kitchen, which was literally a, a half-retaining wall away, and she heard something, and she came in there, and she had a, uh, a, a towel in her hand, and she wrapped that towel around my head and pulled me off of that that uh, 110 volt socket. And um, but it was shortly after that that the night terror started. So we were able to correlate uh, the electrocution with the event of that happening. And, uh, went back and talked to my electrophysiologist and the bottom line was we firmly believe that, uh, it burned out some type of, uh, uh, neurological sensing, uh, organs, uh, somewhere in my neurological system, either in my heart or in in my peripheral nervous system that allows me or, or in my brain that allows me to be able to start my heart rate back when it drops too low. So, um, it's uh, it, going going through this gave me just an instant appreciation for integrative medicine and I'm gonna, I'm going to explain why but before I do that uh I want to talk about non traditional treatment and, and gurus. Here lately, I've been seeing a lot of talk on Facebook and Instagram where non traditional gurus uh, say uh, they're, they're touting their way as the only way, or you shouldn't take this medicine or that medicine, or the only medicine you need is sunshine, Whole Foods, blue light filtering, and electromagnetic frequency or EMF control. But on the flip side, it's equally as easy for traditional allopathic clinicians to do the exact same. They think their treatment, their way is the only way, it's the only modality. And regardless of which side you're on, to say that one is the be all end all treatment or method or modality simply isn't right. It isn't right thinking. In fact, I think it's quite arrogant and narrow-minded. I mean, let's face it, if your body decided that your feet weren't that important and voted them off the island, so to speak, we'd all be walking around on bloody stubs. Now, I know that's not a pretty picture, so I apologize for the squeamish out there. But my point is this, it wouldn't be very effective to get rid of one thing just because you were biased against it. It, it wouldn't be effective at all. Do I eat paleo? I sure do. Do I use blue blocking lenses in my prescription glasses uh, to control blue wave frequency light exposure? I I sure do. Uh, Do I get as much natural sunlight as possible? You better believe I do. Do I monitor and limit EMF toxicity? That's electromagnetic frequency toxicity. I sure do. Do I drink uh, four liters of water a day? You better believe i do at least on most days uh, I, you know i jokingly say um i shoot for four liters 98 percent of the time i get it some some days i only get three liters uh, do i do intermittent fasting you better believe i do uh, this vessel that we call the human body is way too complex to say there's a one-size-fits-all approach to whatever it is you're trying to accomplish sometimes we need integrative approaches uh traditional um, or allopathic medicine with a plant-based diet, uh, naturopathic medicine with surgical intervention, homeopathy with epigenetic manipulation. They all blend together. Now, please don't misunderstand me that I'm trying to take up or making excuses for traditional medicine. I, I think it has numerous flaws that run deeper than any of us care to imagine. And I say that as an insider because I am a medical provider and I was traditionally trained, um, And I think it's been going on, uh, this, this problem that we have in medicine, all these flaws, I think it's been going on for nearly half a century now, but it, it it can serve a purpose, um. What what it, what doesn't serve a purpose is big pharma invading the minds of consumers in direct to consumer advertising or big pharma invading the minds of medical providers with biased research or medical a uh, big pharma invading our institutes of higher higher learning in the medical fields or insurance companies controlling every aspect of your care or uh, spending on healthcare, that's more than double that of any country in the world. Here in the United States, I mean, according to a study in 2017, looking at healthcare of spending of 36 different countries, the average spending per citizen in every other country except the United States was $4,000 per year. But in the U.S., it was $10,000 per year per person. And and when we look at spending on pharmaceutical medications, the U.S. spent a thousand. $443 per person per year compared to the average of the other countries of $749 per person per year. And when we look at health income, health, health outcomes uh, in the U.S., uh, they're simply the poorest in the world. According to a study which uh, compared the health outcomes of 11 of the more progressive countries in the world between 2015 and 2017, the U.S. ranked last place The U.S. also had the highest rate of mortality due to poor quality care, and the U.S. had poor access to primary care, which contributed to inadequate chronic disease prevention, inadequate chronic disease management, and delayed diagnoses. There's a huge disconnect here, and no one wins under these circumstances. Now for the rest of my story. Um, Traditional allopathic medicine saved my life in the form of a pacemaker. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. But because of naturopathy, homeopathy, functional medicine, dietary manipulation, light therapy, and other biohacking modifications, the use of my cardiac device has dropped from nearly 15% to less than 5% in the last four years, which means I've had a significant reduction in the number of episodes that my heart rate goes too low and can't recover. The way I know this is that my pacemaker not only keeps my heart from dropping too low, but it records everything that's going on. Every six months I go in for a checkup and they hook it up to a machine um, and they read what's been going on. They download everything from my pacemaker that's recorded in that history. The technical term for this is biometric measuring. Um, I'm kind of a walking laboratory experiment, if you will, that's being constantly monitored. And um, the, way, the reason I say I'm a constant laboratory experiment is because I'm constantly doing things, doing research to try to manipulate my body into um, uh, functioning better, uh, cardiac output, this, this electrical function, neurological function, so on and so forth, stress management. Now, I certainly don't recommend getting a bio-implant device like a pacemaker just for the heck of it. But the direction of uh, that biometric measurement is going, I think we're not too far away from concierge-level implants like that. Right now, for uh, sleep and exercise tracking, I use a biometric device called the BioStrap. Um, and it works very well. It lets me know what my heart rate variability is, which, uh, if you don't know anything about heart rate variability, we'll be doing a podcast episode on that in the near future. Uh, but heart rate variability just kind of tells you what your stress has been like through that day and, uh, what your stress recovery is like overnight while you're sleeping. Uh, a high heart, heart rate variability or HRV is very good. A low heart rate variability is very bad. Uh, but the technology is improving. And interesting, uh, some of this tech is borrowed from the traditional medical realm and rapidly spilling over into the private sector. Uh, this is uh, actually not a bad thing, if you ask me. As, as you can see, the marriage between natural or non-traditional disciplines and traditional medicine disciplines works. Uh, is it perfect? Certainly not. Is it beautiful? It certainly is. Trust me, I know firsthand. Uh, I never planned to have a pacemaker, but I'm certainly glad it's there. I never asked to be placed on a statin cholesterol medication either, that, uh, but I was offered one anyway. Now, I declined it because evidence shows that it depletes mitochondria of an essential element uh, called coenzyme Q10, more, more specifically, u- ubiquinol, which is the essential fuel it needs to survive, um, which can lead to things like depression, muscle fatigue, and uh, research also shows congestive heart failure. Now, I knew from my functional medicine training that I could lower my cholesterol with certain alternative approaches, and that's exactly what I did. To me, it's a perfect blend of treatment, a little bit of traditional, and a whole lot of alternative. In the future, I'm convinced that the idea of segregated wellness approaches will be laughed at. Humanity will look back on this era in healthcare and be glad they didn't live in such an archaic system of wellness management. Unfortunately, I think it's going to take a long time to reach that place, but we seem to be moving uh, slowly in the direction that we need to be uh, moving. It just happens to be at a snail's pace. Right now, uh, every camp is divided into their own little corner of the world. One camp has the idea that all you need is a hammer and everything is a nail. Another camp believes that all you you need is a wrench and everything Mm -hmm. is a nut. Yet, there's a select few of us who have recognized that there are many tools in the proverbial toolbox, and we are using them with great success. Now, you may be asking, Brian, do you take any conventional medications right now? And the answer would proudly be no. But in the interest of full disclosure, I've been on quite the journey with uh, conventional medicines. Uh, you're going to want to listen to my next episode, uh, my next podcast episode titled uh, From, From Depressed and Suicidal to Naturally Restored, where I'll explain uh, my chemical journey, I call it, in search of happiness. I'd like to personally thank you for listening to this episode of the Optimal CEO Podcast. I hope you found today's podcast informative and helpful on your personal optimization journey. You see, we love our Optimal CEO entrepreneurs and thanks to people like you, the Optimal CEO community is growing. You can help us with that continued growth by giving us a like, sharing this podcast with your friends, or subscribing to our podcast feed. This is Dr. Brian Brown. Here's to you being the most physically optimized CEO entrepreneur possible so you can have an even bigger impact on the world through your business. See you next time and thanks again for listening.